Well, like Terabeth mentioned, uh, I have two daughters, and I'm here with my oldest, who this is a special trip for us because this is the last trip that we will have together before she leaves to go away for college. So in 13 days, <laughs> I don't know why you're clapping. I am not excited about this at all. Not excited at all, because in 13 days, she leaves um, to begin her freshman year at the University of Texas. And so what no one told me going into this past year when she was a senior in high school was just how emotional it would be and all of the things that I would want to communicate to her before she left to go off to school. And of course, she's been with us her entire life and we've shared stories and events together, but there are some things that I wanted to make sure and my wife wanted to make sure that she knew before she left, like stories that she had heard and how we had spent our life and things that we thought she really needed to know before she left. So this last year, we have just been telling stories and stories and stories about our childhood, what it was like when we were in college, things that were formative for us. And what I realized in all of that storytelling is that her world is really different from my world. Like when I was 18 years old, when I was growing up in my parents' house, it was a different world. And it's not just Instagram and Facebook, all the social media stuff. It's not just the internet, but it's a fundamentally different world. And when I tell them things, especially when I tell them things about growing up in the church, like they look at me like I just grew two heads. Like they don't understand any of it. Because I grew up in the South, and in the South, one of the things they had when I was a kid was we had Sunday night church. And so I would explain to them what Sunday night church was. And they would say, you mean you went to worship on Sunday morning, went home, did all the other stuff that you were going to do, and then came back and did it all again on Sunday night? And I said, yes, but worse. <laughs> because that Sunday night service, like the JV service, so the people leading worship, like you weren't good enough on Sunday morning to lead worship, but we let you do it on Sunday night. Like that's what it was. And growing up when I did, our parents, my parents just had a different rhythm to life. And I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just telling you what happened. Like when I was young, me and my older brother, like, we were spanked. And when you're black from Mississippi, you don't get spanked. You get whooped. Like, you get a whooping. And that was just part of what it was like growing up in the time and the place that I did. And I can't remember very many of them, but there's one that stands out to me that I'll never forget. I was in the fourth grade. And it just happened to be at this time in my life when my mom wasn't working, so she was at home all day. And I don't know what happened, but from the time that I left school to the time that I walked home, which is also something we used to do, <laughs> my teacher had managed to call my mother and tell her that I had been disrespectful. 
And when I walked in the door, my mom lit me up. <laughs> because she was like a spank first, ask questions later kind of lady. And I had no clue, no idea what I had done wrong. Like still to this day, I have no idea what I did wrong because when you're right in the middle of getting a spanking, that is not the time to ask why you're getting a spanking. <laughs> and so this had always bothered me, bothered me my entire life. So I finally, a few years ago, asked my mom, picked up the phone and said, do you remember in fourth grade when the teacher called, she said I'd been disrespectful and I got a whooping when I got home? She said, kinda. I said, what did I do? And she said, I don't know, that's been forever ago. Like, she doesn't remember, and I don't remember. And so it has given me this sensitivity, both for myself and for other people, people around the world, that it really bothers me when people suffer negative consequences. And I don't know what they did wrong. I don't, I don't know what happened that caused all of this. And so earlier in the summer, I was talking to a friend of mine who pastors a church in Nashville. And we're both kind of preaching nerds, and so we give people, we give each other a little task every now and then. Like, why don't you preach this sermon from the perspective of a rock or something like that, just to kind of keep things mixed up? And he said, what's a, what's a text that you would never preach because you just don't understand it. And I thought about that and it brought me to this little story tucked in Genesis and Genesis 11. And here's how Genesis 11 tells that story. It says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And they migrated from the east. They came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a, ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And when I read that story, I ask, What did they do wrong? Because if you were to look at maps 
of ancient lower Mesopotamia. If you were to study all the excavations that have been done, do you know what you would find over and over and over? You know what would find over 300 of? Towers. And the largest ones are about seven stories high. And if you read the literature, do you know what they say they were doing when they built these? They said they were reaching into the heavens. Like, what did they do wrong? Like, one of my favorite bands has some Houston ties, but it's a married couple named Johnny Swim. And a couple of albums ago, one of my favorite albums ever, they have a song called Touching Heaven. And do you know what it's about? It's about their newborn son. It's about their infant. Now, I have had two infants, and there's nothing about that that is touching heaven. (laughs) In the 1950s and 60s and 70s, when the Gemini, Mercury, and Apollo missions to the moon were going on, do you know what the astronauts and the scientists said about that? They said, we're going into the heavens. We're reaching the heavens. Now, no one from ancient Mesopotamia to the Apollo moon landings to Johnny Swim, none of them think when they say they're touching heaven that they're actually going to heaven. It's just the way that we talk about when something is beyond us, when something is superior. What's up there is the heavens. We don't actually think that that's heaven. Some of you have fallen in love. And you said to someone, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Come on. (laughs) This is the way that we talk. What did they do wrong? And it gets even more complicated because Genesis 11 isn't in a vacuum. You want to read the story, read the whole thing, because this, this is what we learn in Genesis 10. Genesis 10 starts this way. It says, the descendants of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javon, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras, the descendants of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphoth, and Tagamar, the descendants of Javan, Elisa, Tarshish, Kidding, and Rodan, Rodanin. I worked really hard on those for you people. <laughs> From these coastland from these coastland peoples spread. These are the descendants of Japheth in their lands with their own language, by their families, in their nations. So Genesis 11 says that God came and scattered all of these people across the land with all of these different languages. But in Genesis 10, That's already happened. So now I have two questions. What did they do wrong? And what is this story about? And so when my friend asked me to craft a sermon about something that I would never preach about, this is where I landed because I don't know what is there to preach about in this text. So I can't preach anything from this text. But if I were, 
there are several options. Like maybe if I had to, if I were forced to preach about this, maybe I would talk about this word prolepsis. And prolepsis is just the big graduate school word for when a story is told out of order. So many of us sat in an American history class sometime in our education, and someone said to us, President Lincoln was born in Kentucky. Now we know good and well that when President Lincoln was born in Kentucky, he wasn't President Lincoln when he was born. He becomes president later, and because his title carries, like we just assume when I say President Lincoln, you know that he wasn't president when he was born. The story is out of order for the way the events happen, but we actually do this all of the time because we assume that the people we're talking to know the full story, or at least know most of the story to put it all together. But this is the Bible. Like, why, why would you do that? I wouldn't do it that way. I mean, and for good reasons. Because there are enough people alive in the world who open up the scriptures and have little to no way of knowing how to read it. And so they try to turn it into a science textbook. And so everything has to add up and match everything that they know about the modern world and modern scientific method. And so when you tell a story out of order, well, that just brings suspicion on the story that you're telling. In the world we live in, in the 21st century, with increasing skepticism, not just about the Bible, but about Christians, can we risk not having our story straight? And you add to that, over the last several years where it seems like every month there is a Christian leader who fails because they were very good at being a leader and not very good at being Christian. And if you are, if you're a skeptical person, that makes total sense to you because you say, look, of course, they can't even get their own story straight. They're just making it up as they go. And it doesn't help any of us if the story we're telling is confused. So I might not talk about prolepsis if I were able to preach on this text. But there have been many people throughout history who have read this text. And long before me and long before you, there was a community of people who read this Bible and read this story, and they say, oh no, it's not out of order. That's exactly how it happened. You're just reading it wrong. And those people are called the Hebrews, the Jews. And they say that story in the Bible is exactly the way that it's supposed to be. It's just not about the thing that you think it is. They would say, this story is really about imperialism. That yes, there were all of these people spread across all of the lands, but there was one group of people who managed to get their house in order in terms of their economy, in terms of their military, in terms of their culture, and they did what empires always want to do, is make other empires just like them. And when you come in and you conquer another people, the first thing you do 
is control the language. It was just a few years ago before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine that he said, I just want Crimea and other Russian-speaking areas. And a century ago, a man named Adolf Hitler said, I'm not interested in conquering the world. I just want the German-speaking parts of Europe. And I'm going to take everyone and compress it and make it the same. Just when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are carted off, what do they have to learn? The language. The one language to rule them all. You will become like us. And I probably wouldn't preach this because... Everyone here would say to themselves, well, I'm not a head of state. I'm not a president. I don't have that kind of control. I'm not interested in imperialism. But imperialism really is one simple thing. It's that the world would be a whole lot better if everyone else was just more like me. If people talked like me and voted like me, if people saved like me and spent like me, if other people had my values, if they raised their kids like I raised mine, if they wanted to do the same things that I wanted to do, the whole world would be a whole lot better. Why in the world do those people have to behave like that? And just to take everyone and throw them in the sausage press to make the world like us. But no one ever thinks they're doing that, so I would never talk about imperialism when I preach this text. <laughs> but it might be what it seems to be, right on its face, that this text might just be about selfish ambition. That there are people and they take their resources and we try to build and build and build our own towers. But the problem with talking about selfish ambition for too many people is this. In all of my life, I have never met anyone who is selfish. No one. We're not selfish. We're just doing what we have to do. This is what I have to do to save for retirement. This is what I have to do to get the promotion. This is what I have to do to buy the house, to send the kids to this school. Well, yeah, I did that, but you don't understand what I had to do. Well, this is how I have to dress to be attractive. This is what I have to do to secure this man, secure this woman. This is just what I have to do. No one I know is selfish. I mean, yeah. My whole world falls apart if somebody cuts me off in traffic, but I'm not selfish. We're just out here living. Now, at our church in Houston, we have this odd mixture of people, which I feel like per capita, we have more professional models 
than any other church I know of. But we also have a lot of photographers, so it makes a lot <coughs> of really interesting dynamics in that. And so one of the sweetest, um, this last year, reached some really important threshold for her on Instagram in terms of followers. And she gets verified, she's got all of these million people following her and all of this. We were having a conversation earlier this spring. And I asked, I said, I know that's a big milestone for you. What does that mean? And she kind of looked upward and said, I don't know. Most of us aren't selfish people in our own minds. But most of our energy and most of our days are spent building our own tower. And I don't know you, and I don't know what you've done, what you've had to overcome to do it. I don't know how proud you are about the tower that you have built, but I do know this, that no matter how high the tower gets, God still has to come down to see it. But I would never talk about that because no one I know has ever been selfish before. So maybe I would talk about evil and resisting evil. Well, that'll preach. That's why you came today. That's why people show up at church to talk about evil. I mean, we love to talk about evil because it's remote and distant and somebody else. We don't talk about, we're not as fired up about talking about its twin sin. Because as long as it's evil, then, hey, that's someone else's problem. Because the reality is, Genesis 11 is only part of the story. This story really begins in Genesis 6. And some of you remember Genesis 6, the story of Noah's Ark. And this is how Genesis tells that story starting in Genesis 6. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And Genesis 6 goes on to tell us that the reason that the earth had become corrupted was because every man, every woman had just gone off, gone off to do their own thing. That each one determined what was right in their own eyes and went and did their whole thing all on their own. But this is one big story that Genesis is telling. And so you know the consequence from Genesis 6. You have the story of Noah's ark. And then you get to Genesis 11 and you still got the same problem. Like you've got the problem of evil in Genesis 6 and it's individuals. Everyone's doing their own thing. By Genesis 11, the collective is doing a thing. And it seems to be for most people I've ever met, that we have a reflex to think that sin and evil is one or the other. So when I was in high school, I was a news junkie. And so my mom liked to go to early worship service at our church 
and I would always be home relatively early on Sunday morning. And so one of my favorite things to do on Sunday morning when I was in high school is watch Meet the Press because that's what all the cool kids were doing. And I remember one Sunday watching Meet the Press when I was in high school and Jerry Falwell was on. And Jerry Falwell said, God is going to judge America for the sin of abortion. And I thought, hmm, all of us? About 10 years ago, a movie came out called 42. And it tells the story of Jackie Robinson integrating Major League Baseball. And it was a very popular movie. All my white friends called and said, have you seen 42? You need to see 42 because I guess racism was new to them. (laughs) And when I saw 42, when I watched 42, I knew why they wanted me to see it. Because all of the racism in 42 was individual people being racist. It was all the individual. This last May, our church in Houston spent a lot of time, money, and energy helping serve the members of a community about two and a half hours from where we are in Uvalde, Texas. We made connections with local pastors and churches there uh, to do what we could do as they were dealing with the aftermath of the school shooting there. And do you know what the problem in Uvalde was? One person out there being evil all on his own. And I know that because I heard it on the news. You know what the other problem was in Uvalde, Texas? We have a system that allowed this to happen. And virtually everyone I know thought it was one or the other. And the witness of scripture is that God seems to think that we are really good at both. That was individual in Genesis 6 is also a collective systemic problem by Genesis 11. We are very capable of both. And God judges them both. But that's about abortion and race and guns, so I would never talk about that in a sermon, so that's not a sermon that I would preach. But maybe there's another option. Maybe this is really about the people of God. Because not only is this an odd story, because people are building a tower, a seemingly innocent enough project, and that it's told out of order, but it's just weird. I mean, if you were to read all of Genesis 10, it's just a bunch of names, descendants after descendants, genealogies, and if you read the rest of Genesis 11, you know what you get there? You just get more names and then stuck right in the middle is this story. But you know what you get in Genesis 12? 
Abraham. This is what the scriptures tell us. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. where the individualism that so many people love and cling to didn't work in Genesis 6 leads to a kind of collectivist activity where everyone is just forced to be the same and to follow the rules and the party line in Genesis 11. That doesn't work either. So after trying the individual and after trying oppressive collective systems, God says, let's try a covenantal family. And that family becomes a tribe. And that tribe becomes 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes become a nation. And out of those 12 tribes, From one nation comes a son who is the Savior. And that Savior gives birth to a peculiar people that is called the church. And what if, what if there were a people who dedicated their lives to setting the story straight, to every place that they saw something out of order, every instance of injustice that they encountered, every place where things had gone amiss, that those would be the people who dedicated their lives to getting the story and setting it right, to righting all of the wrongs in the world, in their communities, in societies, that these people are the true storytellers who are telling the story right. And what if that same group of people resisted imperialism in whatever way it comes, whether it comes from the individual, in the classroom, in the workplace, whether it comes as a state, a, a state or a nation, that we're not gonna force everybody to be just like us, that we're gonna appreciate all that God has made, that we're not gonna truly deeply believe that you would be better off if you were a little bit like me, that we will resist that kind of imperialism at every turn. We're never, ever going to force ourselves on other people to draw down from the rich freedom that God sent Jesus to give us. And that same group of people would set aside personal rights for their responsibility as the children of God. That they would say, because God has saved me, I exist in the world in a new and free way that is unlike anything that has ever been done for the sake of community. And what if those same people resisted evil in all its forms? And whether it showed up in an individual, in the self, or in a system, And that even when we did not see it, we were so committed to the elimination of evil that we would believe the people who suffered in the system when they told us that they were suffering in the system. That's 
that might be a sermon that I could preach. That would be a fascinating sermon to give. If only, if only I could find a group of people who are interested in that. Let me pray for you. God, would you give us the courage and freedom to step more fully into your kingdom and be the women and men that you have invited us to be. And Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the image of God in our neighbors, our friends, and around the world. That we would be transformed, Lord, because we have had a genuine encounter with you. And God, we cannot do it alone. And so we ask for a renewed sense of your spirit's work in us and that all things be done to your glory and your glory alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.